Would you turn your Bibles to John chapter 20? John chapter 20 is found only in the Bible. And, and, and for that matter, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24 is found only in the Bible because it's a chapter on resurrection. You see, resurrection is different. Resurrection is not about just being brought back to life because it seems like you're hit a ball of death and, and then you're brought back, but resurrection is you break the bands of death never to die again. And so we see that resurrection is specific to Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. It is specific to Jesus Christ because the bands of death could not hold him back. We read that God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it or by death. And it's through Jesus Christ that as we trust this Lord Jesus Christ, we become eternal beneficiaries of resurrection. And so resurrection is foundational to the Christian faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there was no resurrection, your faith, my faith, would have been in vain. There's no point in doing all this we do if there was no resurrection. And so resurrection is what I want to call the linchpin of our faith. Now, what is a linchpin? You see that pin there? That's the linchpin that holds the wheel together. Without resurrection, we fall apart. But let's just pray before we look into God's word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Show us, Lord, the, the glories of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be excited by your word. Help us, oh, Father, that as your spirit speaks to us, that your word, which is living and active, will find those sin, those idols, those, those dark spots, those places that we have kept aside for ourselves to be, to be revealed, to be shattered, to be removed. May God indeed be glorified in our lives through the preaching of your word. And so we pray in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. So before we look into the passage, what I want to do is I want to give you seven reasons why resurrection of Jesus Christ is unique. Seven reasons. Seven reasons why resurrection is unique. One is that the resurrection of Christ proves the deity of Christ. We read in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 that Jesus, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our God. You see, when, when God wanted to show that Jesus Christ is God, his deity, it was proven to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Earlier in John, when Jesus was... Um, uh, cleansing the temple, they came and asked him, by what authority are you doing? Like, who has given you this authority? And he points them to his resurrection. And he says, destroy this temple, speaking about his body in, in John chapter 2, and I will 
raise it up again in three days. Uh, later in his ministry, what happens is Jesus is asked again, how is it that you do this? Like, give us a sign. Show us that you're from, from heaven. Tell us about your deity. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, this is what we read. We read, we read that an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of prophet Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. He says, look at my resurrection. It will tell you who I am. The deity of Jesus Christ proven to us by the resurrection. And then we see the resurrection of Christ makes a salvation possible. Romans 4.25, it says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Because of his resurrection, we stand justified before God, that we have this righteousness that we can stand before God. And therefore, we make the confession, do we not? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, what does it say? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, what? that God raised him from the dead, so will you be saved. Without resurrection, there is no salvation. But not just that. Look at the third one. Resurrection of Christ assures me that death has been de-stinged. That's a word from Spurgeon, de-stinged. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, oh, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And that's the shout of all of us because death has been distinct by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, there is this beautiful phrase that says, Captivity has been led, led captive. It means that he plundered the grave, that he, that that he robbed death of its sting. He put death to death. But not just that, the resurrection of Christ assures our victory over evil. So many times we cry, oh God, where's this justice for all the evil that is happening in this world? And God says he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. And who is that man? Jesus Christ. God who became man, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance. God is saying, you want to guarantee that there is going to come a time that there will be judgment of evil? Look at the resurrection to him and to all of us by raising him from the dead, we read in Acts 17 and 31. But not just that, in Acts, uh, uh, the fifth one, the resurrection of Christ gives a hope of our resurrection. It means when you see the resurrection of Christ, you can be assured that we ourselves will be raised again. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You read in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus Christ is the first fruit of resurrection. That means when you see Jesus Christ and he has been raised again, it means that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will also be resurrected. Resurrection 
is ours. Then you have the sixth one. The resurrection of Christ installed him as the rightful heir of all things. God is God. Jesus is God. He owned all things. It was controlled by him. And yet when he came down as man, as he represented us as the last Adam, this son of man, to him has been given the throne of David. And he says, we read there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Look at that phrase, immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ. That is, this immeasurable greatness of his power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and now he's seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place, far above all authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes him heir of all things. He indeed is the Lord of lords and the God of God of gods, the king of kings. But there's also the seventh one. It demands that we live for him. The Second Corinthians 5.15 says, For he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, that is Jesus Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful, it is personal, it is perfect, it is phenomenal, and it demands a response. When we look at chapter 20, what we are going to see are groups of people, people who uh, responded to resurrection. What did resurrection do for them? That is what we see in chapter 20, and we got to ask ourselves, what has that done to us? And so I want us to look at chapter 20. We looked at last week at chapter 19. In chapter 19, we saw Jesus Christ cry out and shout, it is finished. In 20, God the Father, it's, it, it seems, is shouting out amen with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is indeed finish, all right? So having said that, let's first look at the passion of Mary Magdalene in verses 1 to 18. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, you got to pause there. You see, John has been talking about the third day, the third day, the third day. There are so many references to the third day. And yet when he comes here, he speaks about the first day of the week. It seems like there is, there is this breaking away from this motif of the third day. He says, listen, I want you to know this is the first day of the week. This is a new beginning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, if you read through the rest of the Gospels, you will see it's like an all-women's squad. There is Mary Magdalene. There is Mary, the mother of James. There is Salome. There is Joanna. And then there is other women. So now at least there are six people or seven. We don't know how many. And there's other women. I, you know, their names didn't even make it to the Bible. 
Now read that. And I said, you know, for us introverts, that's a good sign. You know, even if we're not up there in the front doing things like the extroverts get an opportunity for all the grand and, you know, great things that they do, we get included. And so these women, they are now heading to the tomb. Now, these were the women, we read in Luke chapter 23, that they are from Galilee. They used to minister to the needs of Jesus Christ. And uh, when they saw Jesus being buried, they're not from Jerusalem, but they went and prepared spices. They stayed overnight in, uh, or those three days in Jerusalem. And now having prepared those spices, now they're coming early in the morning to the tomb. But what does John say here? I want you to notice this. What is John saying? John is saying Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And you've got to ask yourself, hey, hey, John, John, what about the others? And John wants to say, I understand, but I want you to focus in on this one dear sister. See her passion. See her love. I, I, I just want you to notice what is she doing. And she, see, she brings the crowd and our attention to Mary. Now, what is Mary doing? Why is Mary so special? You see, I want us to first see that Mary was available. Who is this Mary? Mary Magdalene is the one from whom seven demons were uh, cast out. If you remember that, the story from Luke chapter 8. Now, when you read 7... Seven demons. Now, the number seven is a perfect number, so it may be that she was completely possessed. It could be that, or it could be seven. But we know that she was, uh, these demons were cast out from her. We read in the same chapter that she supported Jesus and his ministry with her resources. She stood by the cross in John chapter 19, we read. And then we saw that in Mark that... Uh, that she saw where the body of Jesus was laid. She went and prepared the spices, and now she's at the tomb early in the morning before the sun was even out. That is Mary. Then in verse 2, it says there that so she ran when she saw that it was empty, saw that the stone had been taken away. She ran and went to Simon Peter and and to find John. She runs. But she didn't just go running, but she actually came back. We read that in verse 11. When you get to verse 11, you see that she is back at the tomb, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. The the verse in 10 says, you see what had happened is Peter and John, they came, they looked into the tomb, they, they saw the linen cloth, they saw everything, and in verse 10 we read, then the disciples went back to their homes. It, it seemed like nothing stirred them enough to go find a little more detail, but they, they've just gone back home. But here, Mary lingers, and her love and her passion is rewarded, and she becomes the first witness. She is the first witness of the empty tomb. She's the first witness of the risen Lord, and, and so she gets to see the Lord, and I want you to see in verse 11. I've always stopped to, like, you know, when you read this, some of these verses, they jump at you, right? She's already had a look at the tomb. Peter and John have gone had a look at that. Now, in verse 11, it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
Like we, we tend to do that when we misplace something, like car keys. Like we know we left it somewhere. We go look there, it's not there. We go find and search, and then we come back and search again in the same place again and again. There's something about a sorrowing heart that continues to search in the same place. We don't know what made Mary look there, but she bends in to look again, and she sees those angels sitting there, and the angels ask, why do you cry? And then, verse 14, Ah, verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. What made her turn around? Did the eyes of the angels pop when they saw Jesus stand? They, the seated angels, did they get up? In, or did they fall prostrate? Prostrate, sorry. I, I was thinking maybe... You know, we can write another stanza for I can only imagine. I can only imagine. What happened? What, what made Mary turn around? Uh, probably you know, another stanza for Mary, did you know? You know, I know it's another Mary, but that's all right. Mary, did you know that this is Jesus? And Mary would say, no, I, I, I thought he was a gardener. But Mary the one who lingered. The Lord Jesus Christ rewards that love, that passion, that lingering with himself. She gets to see Jesus. In verse 16, uh, Jesus says, Mary. Those very lips that called out to the dead, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, is the same one who calls and says, Mary. He says, I who was dead, I'm, I'm now I'm alive. Mary. Mary, your hopes that seem to be dead can be now living because I am alive. The resurrected one. Mary. Her hope her joy, and her very life restored. And so in verse 13, it says, my Lord. Uh, she says, my Lord. And then again, we read as we go in verse 16, when, when we see that Jesus said to her, Mary, and, and, and Mary turns around and says, Rabboni, I want you to understand that there is this new relationship that is happening as we get to verse 17 and Jesus said to her do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brothers and say to them I'm ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God you see this 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 uh, this, we, we get caught up in this idea of what was happening when Mary was clinging to Jesus. And Jesus says, do not cling to me for I have not ascended. And then later, you know, eight days later, Jesus tells Thomas, you can reach out and touch me. So what is happening? We get caught up in that. But I don't want us to forget this new relationship that Jesus is introducing to us because of his resurrection. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. No time before could we ever call God the Abba Father. He is now to us, our father through Jesus Christ. And so in verse 18, she becomes the first evangelist, the first evangelist, as she goes and tells the apostles about the res risen 
Christ. Mary, the passion of Mary. But not just that, I want you to listen now to the peace that he gives his disciples. Verses 19 to 28. We saw in verse 4 that Peter and John had run to the tomb. And, and I just love the fact that Peter and John are still together. John could have said, Peter, I really don't think I can be friends with you. You're the one who denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But there seems to be this restoration of their friendship. They're the first PJ sandwich, right? The peanut butter jam sandwich. Okay, all right. But you got to ask, what happened to those nine other disciples? Because in Luke chapter 24, when Mary Magdalene comes, it's written there that all of those 11 disciples were there. It's only Peter and John who get up and run. Mark explains in chapter 16 that they were too sorrowful to believe. Our sorrow, you know, we get caught up in our own misery, but we forget to see the light of the gospel. Luke adds in chapter 24 and verse 11 that when Mary came and told them about the risen Lord, it seemed to them like idle tales, too fanciful to be true. And you've got to ask yourself, which of these two groups will you be, like Peter and John, or would you be like those disciples who will not respond? There is this extreme skepticism of anything divine. We become too familiar that we don't even respond to anything divine. And then in verse 10, we see the disciples went back to their homes. We saw that in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 12, he, uh, Luke adds about Peter. And he went home marveling at what happened. That's just about the stirring of the heart they had. But Jesus does not give up. We're so thankful for that. The faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ is not dependent on your faithfulness. It is on his, on his character. And so we read, as we see later, later that evening in verse 19, and that they were gathered together in verse 19 on that evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors being closed, being locked, where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now I want you to understand, first of all, there is a sense of hopelessness. You know, nothing seems to be going right for the disciples. There is an abject lack of hope. But now that's compounded by fear because now there is a missing body. They were not responsible. They didn't do anything, but they will be blamed. There is actually uh, a stone that is being found. It's called the Nazareth Inscription in which it says that an unnamed Caesar ordering capital punishment for anyone caught disturbing graves or tombs. We don't know which year this was enacted, but if that were true, even without that, the Jewish leaders are going to come after the disciples. They knew that. But Jesus stands in their midst and says, peace be with you, verse 19. And he says that three times. And I want to make reference to this, that there are three times, based on the context, I want to give you three reasons why he gives us peace to his disciples and why we can receive peace. All right? The first one in verse 19, 
Peace be with you, for I give you my presence. In verse 20, it says, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But not just that, in verse 21 we read, Peace be with you, for I give you a purpose. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you the same purpose of Jesus Christ is the reason, uh, is the purpose given to the disciples. And for that reason, we can have peace because we are people of purpose. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul gives another reason. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We had looked at that. But the t verse 26 gives us another reason for peace. Peace be with you, for I give you proof. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You know, we tend to be very harsh on Thomas. We say, oh, Thomas, you're a doubting Thomas. You had to reach out. You couldn't get the word of, like, the women or the disciples. But, you know, he was only asking what the others had an opportunity. In verse 20, um, in 21, sorry, in verse 20, when he said this, that is Jesus, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were, the, were glad when they saw the Lord. You see, the disciples had the opportunity to see the wounds. And Thomas was only asking to get the same kind of evidence. And Jesus appears to him and says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And then what happens in verse 29 on is our focus moves to us. And this is where it becomes personal. We saw how Mary responded. We saw how Peter and John responded. We see how the disciples responded, how Thomas responded. But when we get to verse 29, we read, And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? He's speaking to Thomas. And then he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, have not seen him and yet believe, this verse comes to us. There is a verse in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not, do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice. And, and so Jesus is talking to those of us who believe and those among us who do not believe. What is the narrative of our life? Are there aspects of life that we believe about Jesus Christ? When Jesus says, be still, do not, do, do, do not get flustered, do not be weary, do not be sorrowful, does that speak to us? Can we, can we say, I can believe in Jesus Christ? Or do we just say, listen, this resur resurrection has been a hoax. People have di disproved that. There's, I don't think there is Jesus, uh, that this historical Jesus ever lived. He never rose again. Would you be part of that camp? I want to say to you that, that the truth of the resurrection, when you read this chapter and the chapters thereafter, even if you pull yourself just a little uh, a ways, you see the way it's laid out. These disciples, I want you to think about these disciples who are willing to die. Eleven disciples 
who were fearful, who had locked themselves, who didn't, who didn't want to do anything, they were willing to die for this truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, none of them recanted. None of them said, no, 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 that is too much of a price to pay. They paid the price. There are hardened skeptics. Paul is a great example. He was so compelled with this Jewish law that he, would, he was actually destroying the church, we read in Acts chapter 8. But when he was confronted by the resurrected Lord, he becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is a social upheaval in Jerusalem. Within five weeks, there are like 10,000 people in Jerusalem who believe in Jesus Christ. And then it spreads from there through persecution for the next 300 years. Even today, Christianity is the most persecuted faith in the world. But those of us who have been gripped by the glories of the risen Christ, we know that he is worth our very life. And so we believe. So you've got to ask yourself, what is the impact of resurrection on us? Are we like Mary? A dashed hope? Are we willing to settle for memories of the past? You know, oh, my father, my grandfather, I have this heritage, so I follow in this faith. Is your faith dependent on your dead ancestors? Or even on a dead savior? And Mary says, give me that body, I'll hold on to the body. What's to hold on to Jesus? And Jesus says, let me go, because when I go, I'll send you the Holy Spirit who will be in you, not just with you. To you, the Lord asks, why are you weeping? Verse 15. Mary, Mary, Vigi, why are you weeping? Why are you hopeless? I am the resurrection and life. John chapter 11, 25. Will we be like Peter and John? We just want to head knowledge. Tell me about this and tell me about that. How does this work and how does that work? What does the Bible say? Why does the Bible say this and where does it say? And we get just so caught up in what it says in Greek and what it says in Hebrews, but not what it says to our own lives. Oh, that not just in our head, but it would sink down to transform our lives. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful to the transforming of our life. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection. Oh, will we be like the disciples? They were fearful and they were hopeless and and Jesus appears to them. He assures them with his presence. They are now driven with a purpose, and they are encouraged by the proof of the authenticity of a risen Lord. What about Thomas? Do we, do we insist, oh God, you've got to give me a visible sign. You've got to give me a visible sign. I want that plane going with that banner saying, I love you from God. And yet God says, 
that those of you who have not seen him yet believe. To him alone, God says you're more blessed. That with the eyes of our heart, we're able to see the truth of who Christ is. So my beloved, I want to say to you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful. When you believe on the risen Christ, I want you to know that it's something very powerful. That just as Paul was saying in Ephesians, that this powerful, immeasurable power is given to you. For our life which seems to be hopeless, for a joy that seems to be squashed, for a life that seems to be rudderless, where we get purpose in Christ alone. I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Who is the one who condemns? For Christ Jesus is he who died, and yet, uh, yes, rather, sorry, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. This risen Lord is interceding on your behalf with that hope and the joy that can only be yours through Jesus Christ. There's that uh, song that we sing, right? No condemnation I, I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. This chapter ends with the purpose statement that we have been referencing through the series. These have been written so that you may believe. And I want for all of us, for all of us to be able to say, I believe. I believe in the resurrection. Christ. I believe that what he set out to do, he has accomplished on the cross. I believe he is the son of God who came down as a son of man. I believe that he lives now. He's going to come back to take me to be with him. And I, right now he intercedes for me. I have a place in heaven by the, by, by, by the throne of grace that I can come boldly because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that our hopes are given life, our joy is fully restored, and our life is lived abundantly for the glory of the King. May his name be glorified. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you that in his resurrection we have life, we have joy, we have hope, we have purpose. Uh, we pray, O oh God, for us as your as, your, as the members of, your bod, of the body of our Lord, that you will compel us, O oh God, to be these witnesses of the, of the resurrection of Christ, even as Paul, as he stood before the, the governor, and he says, for the resurrection of Christ, I stand before you today. And we pray, therefore, O oh God, that our lives are lived in a way that the resurrected Christ is made evidence to this world, to this dying world, so that they will receive the same life that we have received. So, be it, O Father, we pray. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray.